ahead and get started this evening. We are looking at Abraham's journey of faith. Uh, Abraham's always an interesting character to look at, and sometimes as we go verse by verse, we can get uh, bogged down in the details and sometimes overlook the big picture of Abraham's life. His uh, life is summarized in Genesis 26, 5, whenever the Lord is talking to Isaac, his son, and he says, Because your father Abraham kept my charge, namely he kept my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. He said, because of what he did, I'm going to bless you. So it's quite interesting to see what did Abraham do, because those words in Genesis 26, 5 aren't used anywhere in the life of Abraham. Normally you would track, do a word study and you look back and say, where are the laws that he followed? Where are the statutes that he followed? Where are those things? Normally that's what you would do, but uh, when you look back in Abraham's life, those words aren't used there. So you have to go through it and see where the principles are taught and where they're found and how Abraham obeyed. And his life is a, a fascinating life to look at. And so it's, it's always fun. I did a, a first-person monologue of this at a, a camp one time, and uh, I was just sweating bullets over it like I always do. Helen says, why do you do these things? And I said, I have no idea of why I do them. But what you do is you try to memorize the high points and then uh, let the Lord fill in the blank somewhere along the line. And I was you know, going through and I had a, a, a coach that was kind of coaching me on the acting because I'm not an actor as to what to do when. And so I said, gosh, I don't know what to do with Abraham. I said, what, you know, and especially I'm talking to junior high kids and high school kids. And I thought, uh, okay, uh, the gal has helped me. He's named Brandy. And I said, uh, Brandy, we may have some problems. I said, Genesis 16 is Hagar, the handmaid. Genesis 17 is circumcision. Genesis 18 and 19 is Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, <laughs> and she looked at me and said, next time pick Daniel. <laughs> but we gone too far, and it was fun to go ahead and uh, let the Lord work that out. But uh, anyway, Abraham's life is an interesting life. It is a life of faith. But he wasn't always uh, faithful. He didn't always pass the test. And what we see in Abraham's life is God staying faithful to what he said he would do. So it's a beautiful picture of the walk of faith in our own life as God calls us to do things and as we seek to follow him. Before we begin, let's take a few moments just for silent prayer. Let us get ourselves ready to take a look at this, uh, the, the life of this hero of the faith. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for this day, for your grace, your mercy, your love. We thank you for the heroes of the faith. We thank you for recording what you did, that we can look back and read about them and how they struggled in this life, but how they constantly look to you. Father, I pray we'll learn some principles tonight that will help us along this journey that you've set for us. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first we saw, we're at point eight now, it's where we left off, and first we saw 
Abraham, born to Terah. Terah was an idolater, but Terah was his father in the land of Ur. That's to the north of the Euphrates River and the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley. Uh, Many know that as the cradle of civilization, and that's where that group uh, migrated to after the Tower of Babel. And then he left Ur for Haran, and he, uh, uh, he heard the call while he was in Ur, then he left Ur to go to Haran, and uh, he left Haran with Terah, for Haran with Terah and Lot. So he took his father and his relatives there, that's Genesis 11:31. but then he left Haran, Haran after the death of Terah. So he, had, he was there with dad, but after dad died, he, he moved on. Now, once he, got, once he moved on, once God had given him a promise in the first three verses of Genesis 12, he stopped and built an, an altar. And he worshiped the Lord. You see it all through his life. He continued to worship uh, the Lord. He could have focused on personal failures that he had. That's not what he did. He continued to worship the Lord. There was a famine in the land, so he went down into Egypt. And going down into Egypt, he he was such a fine, brave, wonderful man that he told his wife to say that you're my sister so they won't kill me. Uh, It says that Sarai was beautiful. And for the Lord to say she had a goodly appearance, she must have been a real knockout. That's just... That's the way it is, and so they went down to Egypt, and um, uh, Abraham failed that test, didn't he? Because uh, he went over to Egypt. It wasn't a place the Lord showed him, but then he failed the, uh, failed the test of deliverance. Is the Lord going to deliver you or, or not? And he messed that test up. He didn't trust the Lord for his physical life in order to tell a half-truth. That's one of the first documented half-truths we find in Scripture because uh, Sarai was his half-sister. So it was a half-truth that he said uh, that uh, she is my sister, but didn't, didn't explain it very well, and he failed that. So here is Abraham, the great warrior, uh, afraid, afraid of death. And what do we read in Hebrews 2? The fear of death, the enemy uses that. The devil uses that. He scares people into doing things. Fear is one of his biggest weapons, and um, he will he will use it against us at any point in time. There's so many phobias. I had a list of them one time, but they keep increasing. You know, there's the fear of having fear, even the phobophobia, I guess you call it. But it is the uh, just fear itself. Some people live in fear, and when you live in fear, you're a slave to what you're afraid of, and that becomes a problem. Somebody said fear knocked on the door, and I opened the door, and it was gone. Interesting, isn't it? Oftentimes when you confront it, fear disappears, but you have to confront it for it to disappear. Now the eighth point where we left off is military victory, and that's Genesis 14. We know in Genesis 13, he'd taken Lot with him. He told Lot, you need to go one way, I'll go the other. When they got up on this mountain and said, look both ways, you pick it, I'm going the other way. And so Lot picked the lush area of the world back then known as Sodom and Gomorrah down at the south end of the Dead Sea. And that's where Lot went. And so uh, down at the south end of the Uh, Dead Sea, Lot went, Abraham went to the north and to the west, and they kept their flocks and herds separated and different. 
Now, what happened after that? After they had separated, Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah. But Sodom and Gomorrah failed to pay their taxes. Now, and I mentioned last week, you have to get the chronology right to remotely figure this out. And conventional chronology is 800 years off at this point in time. Uh, You can tell it's 800 years off because whenever uh, Kathleen Kenyon dated the fall of the walls of Jericho, which should have been about 1400 B.C., she dated it based on pottery dating of what they call Early Bronze IV. And uh, Early Bronze IV in conventional chronology was 2200 B.C. So that didn't fit the Bible narrative at all, and they used that to try and say the Bible was not correct. The Bible was inaccurate. But the fact of the matter is, as I mentioned last week, when you study Egyptian history and you figure out that Egyptian history has got to fit into the time after the flood. And conventional Egyptian history starts at 3000 B.C. in the time of the flood, biblically is dated around 2300. So it's off by a dynamic factor there, 700 years at that point in time. Sumerian history also begins around 3000 B.C. according to to traditional history. And yet it too is part of the nations that come out of the Tower of Babel, so it is off at least 700 years. And um, Donovan Courville, I mentioned, uh, redid that chronology of Egypt, and it's easy to it's easy to redo if you just approach it with an open mind and not one of these things that, well, that's what my professor told me, so that must be true, and I'll never take a look at it again. Well, that's not the way to, to look at things, and so... The, uh, when, whenever you start uh, aligning things biblically, then you can read things like in the Cambridge Ancient History, which is the standard work of ancient history, and you can find where these events really happen. If you read the Cambridge Ancient History and conventional chronology, they say the Bible events are mythology. They can't happen because they weren't recorded in the Cambridge Ancient History. But whenever you take the Bible as the standard and everything else needs to fit it, everything fits. So when you start looking through there, you find out that there was a political marriage back then. There are four kings named in Genesis 14, Amraphel, king of Shinar. Shinar is Sumer, ancient Sumer. Shinar is where was the Tower of Babel on the plain of Shinar? So when you study languages, you find out the S and the M and the R are uh, the consonants, and that's the way the languages were done, mostly without vowels. And you find Shinar is an S and an N and an R, and you find out frequently the M's and the N's were were exchanged in different languages. You find out R's and D's were exchanged, like between Hebrew and Aramaic. So there's certain letters that are frequently changed. So it's not a it's not a wide stretch to say that that Shinar equals Sumer. Now what happened was that there was a political marriage that offered protection to the Sumerians from the Gudium hordes that were on the, the to the to the east. Now the Gudium hordes were scary people, 
And so what happened was there was a marriage between the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and between the Sumerians up there. And this let the Sodom and Gomorrah group protect them from the Gudium horde. So it was like, hey, we're going to get a we're going to hire some mercenaries to protect us from the people on their borders so they don't come through there and and uh, kill us on our borders. So that's what the deal was. The kings did they Sodom and Gomorrah just stopped paying taxes. The kings came to get their back taxes. It really is the first recorded IRS confiscation. Is really what it is. They said, you owe us money, and we're coming to get it. So they killed the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they took the inhabitants as slaves, including Lot. Now, <clears throat> this army that uh, uh, came to do this was large. Estimated, Sumerian army estimated at a million people at one point in time there. Now the test here for Abraham since he knew his his, uh, nice little nephew Lot had been taken away uh, the test was to deliver your family from destruction. Okay, Was he going to go after him and help him or what? The temptation, let him die in their sins. This is Sodom and Gomorrah. This This place is a mess anyway. You can just write it off as divine discipline and not step into the middle, not intercede, not act as a mediator. That's what Abraham could have done. And the status of this test, he passed it. He passed it. He said, I'm going to go get my nephew. And he enlisted 300 guys. And they said, well, one against a thousand. Where did David get uh, Saul is slain his thousands and David his ten thousands and all that? That's because you, you didn't want to go against the God of the Jews. You figured, they should have figured that out early on in ancient history. But see, here's the principle to Abraham, love cast out fear. Because he was afraid of an Egyptian Pharaoh when it came to his own life and his wife. Now he's getting ready with 299 other guys to go up against the largest army in the world. And he's going to take them on in order to get his nephew back. Why? He, he must have loved his nephew a lot. Even if Lot was unlovable, he must have loved him a lot because he said, I'm going to go do this. First John 4.17, By this love is perfected in us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You see that over and over again. Will a mama go after somebody trying to take her child? You can bet she will. She'll go after him with every single thing that she has got. That's what happened. Even though it might be one of these 300-pound linebackers or whatever it is about that size, and she will take them on. They say that the deadliest shot in the world is a woman with a gun protecting her kids. Whether she's shot a gun or not, she is a, becomes a deadly shot, and you don't want to take them on. It says, because fear involves punishment, and one who fears is not perfected or matured in love. And we love because he first loved us. Now another test is to give the enemy a victory because of personal inaction. That sounded like something crazy, didn't it? But is Abraham pretty close with the Lord? Yeah, he's pretty close with the Lord. The temptation 
look to the lure of more wealth. That's that's the temptation. You know, it, he could have just said, I could keep mine. I can stay here with my herds and flocks. I'll be just fine. But the status of this test, he passed. So the, the principle here is don't give the enemy an opportunity to claim that he has blessed you. Love casts out fear. Now, <clears throat> the enemy, see, if you turn and walk away and do away with it, the enemy could say, well, I, I blessed Abraham, but Abraham is not that kind of, of a person. Not that kind of a person. Hang on. I don't normally do that, but just to be sure it's not Helen <laughs> or 911. Okay, <laughs> so anyway, military victory in Genesis 14. Then we move to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Yeah, Genesis 15 is a personal petition. He's going in front of the Lord, and what did the Lord promise to do with Abraham? To bless him. With what? A lot of kids. In you every family there shall be blessed. Your descendants shall be as many as the stars of the heavens. There were three main elements to the Abrahamic covenant. One was sexual prosperity. One was uh, financial prosperity or real estate. And the third one was the line of the Messiah. And if we tracked and went through in a detailed way, in fact, we've done this. It's on online back there. We've done it, but Abraham, the covenant with Abraham was three parts. It was ratified at three different times. And the last one ratified is, guess what? The line of the Messiah. First one ratified is real estate. Next one is sexual prosperity. And the last one in Genesis 22 is the line of the Messiah after the sacrifice of Isaac. So Abraham became more and more compliant, more and more obedient, more and more had his attitude right about it, and God ratified the Abrahamic covenant in three different stages. Now, in Genesis 15, Abraham was not afraid of the army. Oh, what, happened, what else happened in Genesis 14? He met a guy named Melchizedek, didn't he? Melchizedek, uh, the king priest. Melchi means my king. Zedek is righteous. Melchizedek, my king is righteous, is what his name means. King of Shalom, king of Salem. He is the king of peace. That's who our, our God is. Now, he was afraid, interestingly enough, that God wasn't going to keep his word. You know, God gave him this word, uh, you know, uh, earlier. Right now, if we track the chronology of Abraham, we're about 10 years after he left Ur and, and about 10 years after the promise to Abraham. And you're going, uh, where are these kids that I'm supposed to have? Uh, God, what's going on? I just, I want to know what is going on. So the test was to present your worries to God. Okay. And that's what he did. He presented his worries to God. What is going on? But see, the temptation here on the other side is he could have lost his faith and grown bitter. God, you haven't kept your word to me. You know, sometimes people do that. Whenever God doesn't answer things or do things the way they want, they want him to. Whenever they pray and pray, Lord, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. 
And then they end it with, not my will, but your will be done. Well, first of all, it's not about his will to begin with if it's all about what I want done. And then when he doesn't do that, I've seen people derail spiritually over such things because they, they prayed for certain things and wanted to know certain things and have certain things go their way and it didn't happen. And then they basically gave up, gave up on God. And um, I talked to one young man one time, and he said, God and I have a deal. and said, I leave him alone, and he leaves me alone. And I said, well, that's not going to work for the rest of your life. He'll let you stew in it, but uh, you're his, and he's not going to let you go that easy. Now, <clears throat> the test, present worries to God, lose faith or grow better, and guess what Abraham did? He passed it. He passed this test because he went in front of the Lord and he, he just was able to tell him, this is the way I think. Now, I think the principle there is taught in 1 Peter 1, 7. Cast all your cares on the Lord because it matters to him about you. The, the, cast all your cares. The word cares is marimna. And marimna is a word that means to be drawn and quartered, basically. Have you ever felt like you're being pulled in every direction at the same time? It's not like somebody's got a rope on both arms and both legs and they're all pulling different directions at the same time. That's what marimna is about. Marimna is about all your anxieties, not just your cares, but your anxieties. And anxieties are just another form of fears. All the things bothering you. And what is the command? And Peter writes, casts them all. On the Lord. Because uh, why? He cares. So do we believe that? Abraham, at least in Genesis 15, believed that. Now in Genesis 20, he didn't believe it <laughs> for that period of time. But in Genesis 15, he believed it. In fact, about a year later, here comes another test. Ishmael is born. This is dating on this, if you calculate these out, about 1864 B.C. These are kind of when they fit into the chronological time frame. See, the Exodus is at 1445 B.C., so we're about 219 years away from the Exodus out of Egypt. Now, in Genesis 16, after receiving a word from the Lord, Sarah comes up with a idea to give her Egyptian handmaid to her husband Hagar so she did now see this is a, I believe a full bore failure of Abraham and Sarah both because what's happening you know when Sarah is first introduced it says and Sarah was barren back in Genesis 11 his wife Sarah oh by the way who was barren and especially in the ancient world, that was that was really uh, uh, a problem for for a woman to be barren, and she couldn't have any kids. And so here is here is Ishmael that comes along. She said, "Well, I'm going to help God out. I'm going to send in my Egyptian handmaid." So that means that let's see, the child of Abraham would be half Egyptian. Ishmael is half Jew and half Egyptian. And yet that wasn't what God wanted, was it? 
A little later, he'll get some mixtures into the lines, like, uh, let's see, Ruth being a Moabite. There's some, there's some interesting characters that enter into the, to the line of Christ. But see, Hagar then gets arrogant. Oh, she's got Abraham's firstborn. Then she starts wanting more and more privileges and all this. And Sarah went to Abraham and said, you got to get her out of here. you got to get her out of here. And Abraham said, no, I don't want to do that. And Abraham went to talk to the Lord again. And what did the Lord say? This is a classic line. Listen to your wife. <laughs> yeah, especially in a patriarchal society. That, that was kind of like, what? He said, get him out of there. He's, he's not good for your son, Isaac. He gets arrogant. Sarah runs her off. Hagar has an encounter though, with the living God who gives her instructions and says that this Ishmael kid will be a wild donkey of a man and uh, they will settle in defiance of the seed of Isaac. And it has been that same way ever since. They're half Egyptian, they're half Jew, and uh, they feel like, guess what? Ishmael's the firstborn. Under the rights of primogenitor, the rights of the firstborn, shouldn't they get all of the blessings of Abraham? Hmm. God removed them from them, though. That's part of why they're still fighting. If you get right down to it, that's part of why they're, why they're still fighting. And so here is, here is Hagar producing Ishmael. And what was the test? Wait on the Lord to keep his promises. Isaiah 40, 31, one of our favorite verses. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The word wait, that Hebrew word for wait, is the Hebrew word kawah. Q-A-W-A-H. Weird spelling in... Uh, great spelling in Hebrew, weird spelling in English. Kawah. It, there are five different words for faith found in the Hebrew, and that's the strongest one. Kawah is a word that means to weave together like a rope. And if you take a cord of three strands, it's more difficultly broken. And, you, it's, and what it is saying is this is faith that takes multiple promises out of the Word of God and it weaves them together. And the more that you know about what God has promised you and you put that together, the stronger you'll be. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. See, that's a condition, isn't it? Go to Him with full patience, waiting for Him to act. Some things we can control and we should. Some things we can control and we shouldn't takes wisdom to know the difference in those things. But here is a wait on the Lord, and He is the one who will bring it about. The temptation is to try to help the Lord with human solutions. Sarah failed. Abraham failed. And you'll notice this principle. Human solutions to spiritual issues bring unnecessary suffering. Because uh, Ishmael was a wild ass of a man, literally is what it says. He, he was a mess. And he taunted Isaac 
on his uh, fifth birthday, basically, at the weaning. They did a ceremony then, along about the fifth birthday, and he was taunting him, and that's when Sarah said, you got to get him out of here. you got to get him out of here. He, uh, he was uh, poking funny. You can almost see, how does, how does an older kid taunt a younger kid? There's a lot of ways to do it, and I don't think that's changed a whole lot over the millennia. But uh, the status here is they both failed it. But look at the unnecessary suffering that it brought about when Hagar went in to Abraham under Sarai's direction and produced a child, uh, literally the firstborn of Abraham. Now the next one is circumcision. One exciting topic, especially for Sunday mornings, Whenever you're trying to do outreach into the community, <laughs> talk about circumcision. I don't think I've put that out on the sign yet as to uh, what are we talking about this Sunday? Circumcision. Don't know what that would do. But anyway, uh, this is an unusual request for Abraham. Think about what, <laughs> what he just asked Abraham to do. Remove the foreskin of your male member. Remove the foreskin of the penis. Now this was going to be a sign of God's promise to Abraham of the importance of passing on a spiritual heritage to his sons. This is the sign. It is the sign of the covenant that he gives to them. And it is a picture because circumcision is talked about about the circumcision of the heart. And it's about removing unnecessary things from your life and so here is the picture of of what it is what it is all about and i i i want a replay of this whenever we get up to heaven i'm gonna say lord can you put that video on or whatever it is i want to see you telling abraham to do this and i, I want to zoom in on abraham's face as he because you can almost see legitimately going what <laughs> You want me to do what? Uh, hmm. And but he did. I don't know if he was initially hesitant, but he did. He went ahead and carried it out. Now it's interesting, and this is so important. And the Apostle Paul pointed out, who was circumcised first, Abraham, or was it installed under the law of Moses? Because. What did the Jews go after Christ about and all that? And he says, circumcision under the law of Moses. That's what they always said, under the law of Moses. It was a law under the law of Moses. But if all you're interested in is following the law, then you've missed the importance of the covenant promise. And that's part of what they'd missed. They'd missed the importance of that because it was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, not of the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law recognized the Abrahamic covenant. And, and held it in high regard. That's why it was made a, made a law. Even for one who was a sojourner that wanted to become a part of the nation. Uh, I wonder about uh, illegal immigrants having to follow the law of Moses in a uh, country in order to vote. Gosh, <laughs> That might weed some of them out. That would be interesting. Well, if you want to be a citizen, this is what's got to happen. And if you um, don't want to be a citizen, 
you don't get a say in anything, anywhere, anytime. That's just the way it is. So that that old hard-nosed God that those Jews serve, it's kind of kind of crazy. It was really practical, really practical. They had to be serious about it. Now, the test, inflict personal harm at the Lord's request. Sometimes he asks us to do it. Sometimes we don't know why. We don't have a clue why. The temptation, personal comfort more important than obedience. But the status, he passed it. He passed the test. So look along the way. See, Abraham is passing these tests, saying no usually to the temptation, failing from time to time, but not quitting. He continues on. Now, <clears throat> the principle is that personal injury sustained while obeying God brings great reward. If you're obeying God and you sustain an a injury, a personal injury, brings a great reward with it. It was part of Abraham's obedience because your father Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept my charge, my statutes, my commandments, and my laws. The next principle is that removal of useless things leads to great rewards. Removal of useless things opens the door to, to great reward. That's what, that's what happened. Because Abraham obeyed, and look at the great reward that he is going to have uh, for all of eternity. For all of eternity. You know, we think it'll be a great reward, and it will be, to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the great wedding feast of, of the Lamb. Won't that be a wonderful thing? Hey, Abraham, what were you thinking about this? <clears throat> then comes another test in a different way. Kind of unusual. Remember, he'd gone and rescued Lot in chapter 14. He put aside his fears and he went after the most powerful army in the world and he, he got, the, got Lot and his people back to Sodom and Gomorrah and sent that other army scatter, scattering. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, this uh, is an interesting thing. About 1851 B.C., Genesis 18 and 19, and the Lord shows up with two angels. We find out it's the Lord when you pay attention to the context and the pronouns and identify the antecedents and you keep it all in your head and you find out it's eventually revealed that it's the Lord there that he's talking to. And he said, should we share with Abraham? Remember that? Should we share with Abraham what we're getting ready to do? Lord asked the angels that. And so they did. We're going to destroy the city and... And again, Abraham, see what he has just done? He's become an intercessor. Because based on this incident, Abraham is called a friend of God. How did he become a friend of God? Because he said, Lord, Lord, if there be 50 righteous, will you spare the city? Yeah, yes, Abraham. If there be 50 righteous, I will spare the city. And I believe righteous only means to be believers to be believers, because where did Lot fit into this? He was a believer. If there be 50 righteous, well, Lord, if there be 40 righteous, will you spare the city? And he kept asking till it got down to 10. Lord, if there be 10 righteous, will you spare the city? 
He was a mediator. He was an intercessor. He was asking for grace. And the Lord said, yes, if there be ten righteous, I will spare the city. But the two angels went down, and there was not ten righteous. It was Lot and his wife and the two daughters. And that's all that walked out. And turns out the wife wasn't too righteous, was she? But the city got totally destroyed, wiped off the map. Now, <clears throat> the test was a love for the righteous. Love for the righteous. Here is, here is Abraham. These, if, if they were the righteous, they're part of the family of God, and Abraham knew that. And he said, you know, you're going to take out all of the righteous out there with the unrighteous. What are you going to do? And so he negotiated the temptation. Let them all die. You know, Lot, Lot, I think, may have gained some respect for him when, when his uncle came after him and rescued him from that thing. But we don't know how it turned Lot around. We know that it was righteous Lot and his soul was tormented by what was going on in the city. But he never left until he was dragged out of it. I love the story, too, because it says, And the angels took them by the hand and led them out of the city. That's not quite correct. Because the word took them by the hand is glued themselves to their hand. I find that quite interesting because it wasn't like, come on, Lot, let's go. No. They took them by the hand as they glued themselves to their hand. Okay, so I can almost see the daughters and the wife going, let go, let go. And no, they didn't. Uh, quite a picture like the rapture too. It's a picture of the righteous being delivered before the before the wicked are destroyed. And what and um, here is uh, <laughs> the angels basically dragging them out of town, dragging them out of town. The temptation, let them all die. Abraham passed that, and I, I see the principle here as a friend of God. Says and Abraham was called the friend of God. He shares his heart about the lost. Now this is this is quite something to see in anybody at this point in history, because there's not a whole lot of the worship of Yahweh that's floating around at that point in time. Philistines are raising their head there. Philistines worship a fish god. They are to the west of Abraham when. All this is all this is going on, and and uh, what's Abraham doing? He's stepping up and asking for leniency for his for his nephew. Abraham spoke up because he could have just let it happen, but he said, "No, I've got to intercede." <laughs> and then Abimelech, the Philistine, Abimelech. This too is 1851. We, we know that because we know when Isaac was born. And this happens, this incident with Abimelech happens when, uh, in the same year that Isaac was born. Now, I went through this, I don't know, three or four times teaching it. And one day it just hit me like a ton of bricks what, what had happened here. Because in context, what's happened? Abraham promised was promised by the Lord. The Lord said, I'll be back this time next year and you will have a son. And Sarah laughed. Remember? Standing outside the tent, the Lord said, why'd you laugh? And then she said, I didn't laugh. (laughs) And he said, 
Yes, you did. So we shall call your child Isaac, whose name means laughter. We'll, we'll call him Isaac. Now remember this, because Sarah laughed at God, and Abraham laughed with God. And he kind of went, oh man. She said, my husband being old, how is this ever going to happen? He said, I'm God. <laughs> Anything I say to happen, I can make it happen. It's going to happen. Well, so what immediately happened in the three months before Sarah got pregnant? Hmm. Abraham fell prey to the same trap he did in Egypt 25 years or so earlier. And he gets afraid for his for his life. Abimelech the Philistine, one of his neighbors there, and he say, you are my sister. Same thing. Why? So they won't kill me. Same thing. He did it again. So sometimes we think, well, if I... If I flunk it once, I won't flunk it again. Well, Abraham flunked the same test twice in different parts of the world. That's what he did. And what what God did was struck the entire kingdom of the Philistines with impotence. That's what he did. (laughs) The king found out, Abimelech found out, Abi is my father, Melech is king. My father is king. It indicates his succession of kings. And so he called Abraham to him. And you could see him chewing. What you did should not have been done to any man, <laughs> anywhere, anytime. Why did you do this? <laughs> and he, I mean, here is an unbelieving king with more character than our father Abraham <laughs> at that point in time. And why did God strike the kingdom with impotence? Because Sarah was put into a harem. But he didn't want anybody to say that that child was not Abraham's. So what better way to do it? (laughs) He strikes the entire kingdom with impotence. So nobody can say that Isaac does not belong to Abraham. That's the length God will go to 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 show that he will keep his promise. And notice here the the principle, fear of death can win a battle at any point in life. Fear of death. Say you're my sister so they won't kill me. Now this is within three months of the time that the Lord showed up, ate dinner with him, and said, I'll be back this time next year and you will have a son through Sarah. That's what he said. And Abraham got so afraid. There. Why, why would he do that? Because he just stopped thinking. First Peter 3.13 Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account For the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It's better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. You tell the truth and you get hurt for it. It says it's a lot better to suffer for that than to lie and get caught. So the principle there 
Fear of death can win a battle at any point in life. But guess what happened? Sarah got pregnant. A year later, what happened? Isaac was born. Genesis chapter 21, the child of promise. Test here. Thank God. I mean, it's just a simple test. It's a simple test we face every day. Every single one of us face it. You know, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. We all face this test every single day. But the temptation from Abraham to think it was from his own personal strength. You know, somehow, well, I've been working out. I got back in shape. Da-da-da-da-da. And about everything that he did. The status here, though, he passed. He passed. Because God likes to work in miraculous ways. This goes on to Exodus 14. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. This is one of the most powerful statements of faith in all the scripture. Because they're backed up against the Red Sea. Stand still. He says, Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Stand still. And see and watch the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. There they are on the banks of the Red Sea. And we know what happened after that, right? Charlton Heston stretched out his staff <laughs> and the seas parted. And they stood up like walls. I mean, what what a thing. I'd like to see the real deal once again. Um, you know, I know the Lord can show us that. We've got a lot of things that'd be really neat. And of course, say, boy, it'd take a long time to make a movie of the whole Bible. Well, how much time do we have? <laughs> you know, he could, he could show us the whole thing from start to finish. <coughs> With all the little pieces that go in between. And we'll never lose lose interest. I don't think we'll get bored and go to sleep. You know. It'll be something. I don't know if we'll have popcorn or not. When we get up there. I don't like it. Because I can't get it out of my teeth. But <clears throat> the. Uh, uh, I mean. Movie night. Here we go. That'll be, that'll be pretty cool. God likes to work in miraculous ways. That's who he is. What he does. Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And you will know that the Almighty provided it by grace. And so will everybody else to come to come after. And then Isaac was weaned. <clears throat> That's Genesis 21. That is when Ishmael was taunting the young child. And he, he, he you know, Ishmael didn't have any regard for anything or anyone. You know, it's just mean for a, a child who's going to be uh, 10 to 11 years older. That's about the time frame. Ishmael's going to be about 10 or 11 years older. He's actually, he's about 16, and um, Isaac is about 5. So that's, that's it's 11 years older. Yeah, I did the math right. He, um, he didn't have any regard for him. He, it was just a mess. So... Uh, what did Abraham have to do? He had to see the reality of the situation through the emotion. 
Because one thing you can truly say about Abraham and Ishmael, he loved Ishmael. There's no arguing about that. He thought so much of him, and he said, but Lord, what are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with him? He was always interceding for Ishmael. And the Lord told him, listen to your wife. You need to get him out of here. And so the temptation was to base decisions on emotions rather than truth. And the status, Abraham faltered, but then he passed it. He listened to the Lord, and he got him out of there, sent him on his way. Now, this is the principle that's um, found all through Scripture and all through life. Some things are difficult to obey. Some things are, are hard to do. Luke 22, verse 42 and 43. This is the Lord speaking. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. That's the Lord himself. Some things are difficult to obey. And even the Lord knows that. Whenever you face a test and you know the right thing to do, but it's not easy, well, you can rest assured that the high priest we have can sympathize with our weaknesses because he, like us, was tested in all things, yet without sin. He did it perfectly. So when you go to him and say, Lord, this is a tough one. I know what i got to do, but I don't want to do it. He says, just do it. I'll take care of you. We find out that Isaac was weaned. And the next thing we see is Isaac being offered. Long about 1832, 13 years later, about the time frame we put on this based on other, other dynamics. <coughs> this is the offering of Isaac. Take your son your only son, go three days' journey and sacrifice him to me. Now, that's got to be the, hard, the hardest test ever faced. But it would be by any parent to be told to go sacrifice your child. And you say, well, why would the Lord do that? Why would the Lord do that? Because the test is, what's more important, the giver or the gift? What's more important, the giver or the gift. Because the giver is the one that counts, especially when he's the creator of the universe. What's more important, the giver or the gift? The te temptation is you want the gift more than you want the giver. That's the temptation. You're going to hang on at all costs. See, Abraham passed this test. He went three days. Huh. We read in Hebrews 11 what was going through Abraham's mind. Absolutely... Uh, phenomenal to think about what Abraham was thinking because the moment that it, if you track it down the moment God told him to sacrifice Isaac that in Abraham's mind Isaac was dead so three days later when he got him back he was resurrected it's a picture of the cross beautiful picture of the cross and here is Abraham and he is ready to bring the knife down and to sacrifice Isaac and the Lord stops him but see when when it's time to sacrifice his own son the father sacrificed his own son the knife didn't stop because the sacrifice was required and Abraham passed that that's 
That's what uh, finished the finished the covenant, guaranteed the line of the Messiah, the Abrahamic covenant. All of it, all of it was fully guaranteed at that point of time. And see, the point is that God knows what He's doing. Romans 8:28-29. We know Paul writes because he's experienced that he works all things together for the good to those who love God and are called. See, here is a beautiful picture of the Lord taking stuff that we look at and go, oh, that's awful, that's bad, that's terrible. Why would you do anything like that? He's got a much bigger plan. Another one, how about John 11? Hey, roll the stone away. Uh, well, Lord, by this time, our brother Lazarus stinketh. Roll a stone away. A lot of times he asks us to do difficult and stinky things, if you will, before he blesses us. Because that's what he did. Then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And brother Lazarus came walking out of that tomb. Now everybody knew Lazarus was dead. And then everybody knew Lazarus was back. Same way they're going to see that thing happen to Christ within a couple months. They're going to see the Lord dead on a cross, declared dead by the Jews, by the Romans, by his family, by his disciples, by Pilate, and put away in a tomb that everybody knew where it was. And then three days after that, the tomb's empty. It's empty. The Lord say it's it's amazing. When he says do something, there's a much greater good that is behind it. And uh, these are, to me, these are just amazing. God knows what he's doing. So when he tells us this is the way we need to live, even if the world's telling us, no, it's not the way we live, this is the way we need to live. We do the right thing, and we leave it in God's hands. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day once again, for your mercy and grace and love. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for all your tests. Father, we thank you for the life of Abraham, that we might learn from it and grow in regards to salvation. We pray that we'll keep these principles close to us, and they'll be used wisely to your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.